At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by BarkBox. BarkBox is committed to making dogs happy, and they work with local and independent businesses to achieve this. BarkBox is a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme each month. And guess what? It comes in a box made of bark. It's a fun thing about it. It's um, It looks like a tree um, square, I guess, if that's the thing, a, tr- a tree square. And it's, uh, it's really cool. I, I, I've seen it. I don't have a dog. I got it kind of for myself just to get some new toys but um i I really like it every month barkbox paw picks that's a that's a fun little thing it's not actually run by dogs it's that's just a marketing thing they they say you know some guy in marketing is like let's say paw picks instead of picks and like oh that's good it paw picks the best all-natural treats and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs including allergies and heavy chewer preferences they also chop down a freaking groot for the box to receive one month free, go to boardwalkguide.com slash barkbox. Again, that's boardwalkguide.com slash barkbox to receive an extra month of barkbox for free. R.I.P. Groot. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. <laughs> Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the supporter artist button, stop on Amazon like in Hollywood, and we get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Kristen Bartlett. She wrote and starred in a great sketch show called The Dead Dads Club at UCB, then wrote on Saturday Night Live, and is currently a writer on Full Frontal with Samantha B. Kristen is great, and she's got some great advice about writing sketch about the difficult topics in life, which she did about uh, her dead father. That's uh, really interesting. It's something I know I personally struggle with. I usually have come up with like the dumbest ideas, and if it has a little bit of cum in it, even better. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, great episode. I had a lot of fun doing this one. So here is Kristen Bartlett. <laughs> Uh, Kristen, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm from Black Mountain, North Carolina, which is a little town outside of Asheville. Okay. Yeah, I was there all my life. Um, went to school in North Carolina and then lived in Atlanta for a while and then moved to Jersey City. I just moved to New York a couple months ago. Oh, so you were living in Jersey City up until recently? For 10 years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I, you know, said offline that I haven't taken a subway in a while, and it's because <laughs> I'm just really relishing the life of not having to. Yeah. Yeah, Jersey City. That's like a commute, right? It is like a commute. Um, it's not as bad as people think that it is, but it does. It's not great either. <laughs> I can yeah. imagine. Yeah. Um, my I work at Sambi right now, and it's pretty far to the west side, so it was taking me like an hour and a half, and I just got tired of it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, did you like growing up in North Carolina? I did. Um, it's like a pretty idyllic place to live. And I also lived in like an area that's pretty liberal, like a little bit of an enclave in Asheville. So I wasn't surrounded by like red state blues, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a creative place to be, too. There are a lot of writers from there. I'm uh, I'm from Dallas. Nice. And so it's, it's like also like kind of a, an enclave of liberals. Yeah. It's a weird. It's a weird thing to be like living in Texas and totally. then being like in this weird area where it's like not the rest. Like where the it's rest. not real Texas, but it right. is real Texas. But it's just not what other people think of when they think of Texas. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you like Dallas or no? I do. It's it's kind of a, a boring place. Yeah. In many respects, a very business city. Yeah. But I, it's kind of it's cool to grow up like in a big city, but like kind of not a big city. 
Yeah. Black Mountain is a small town, um, <laughs> and it's, like, very cute. Um, it's very hipstery now, and, like, a lot of hippies moved there in the 60s and created this, like, arts college, so it was sort of a beatnik area. Oh. So there's an interesting, like, amalgamation of people. It's, like, former hippies, people who moved there to live in, like communes because that exists and then also like country southern people which mm. is sort of like what my family was a little bit because they were always from there <laughs> yeah they like grew up there lives there moved there it's all good <laughs> were you interested in comedy like growing up i was um i think not in the way of like knowing that that's what i wanted to do necessarily but i did always want to be writing I just didn't know what kind of writing that would be. Um, I remember from a very early age watching um, Johnny Carson reruns with my brother and watching SNL, like Landshark era SNL, like reruns in the morning before school because he was older than me and it was really the only thing that we had in common. <laughs> so that was sort of the start of it. Wait, wait, what's what's Landshark era? Oh my God. Do you know Landshark? I don't think I do. <laughs> I don't even know what, like, what time of SNL this was, but... There was like a moment in time when one of the bits was a shark that would knock on your door and it was the land shark. And if you opened it, it would attack you and it would be like, knock, 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 land shark. <laughs> it's a very stupid bit. And I loved it. It was like perfect for a five-year-old, you know? Yeah, it's kind of fun. And it wasn't what was happening on SNL at the time. It was already like maybe 10, 15 years old. It was already mm -hmm. old. So, yeah. So you mentioned that you're doing writing. Were you like writing like... Little plays. L little plays, yeah. Yeah, I like would make my cousins be in my little plays that I would write. And mm -hmm. I was always writing sketches. I did Odyssey of the Mind. Um, oh, yeah. I've do you remember of... that? I, I, I never experienced that, but I've heard of it. Yeah, like... it's like, it's a weird thing. The whole goal of it is to be creative. And they're trying to har like harvest creative child minds. And so one <laughs> of the things that you can do is like write little plays that solve a certain problem. So like... It'll be like, write a, you know, Greek myth that does X, Y, Z. And so you write like a short, like 10 minute play. So I was like writing sketches. That seems difficult, like writing a Greek myth. until. Like... I mean, as, as much as a 10 year old can write a Greek <laughs> myth, I think. But um, yeah, but I did that for a long time. So I was always writing sketches and just didn't know what it was yet. When you, when you went to college, did you know like... You're kind of doing a writing comedy thing, or no? No. Um, it took me a long time. Um, I wrote poetry um, in college, okay. <laughs> um, which was, you know, I took poetry classes and I uh, majored in communications. Thought I was going to do journalism. Um, didn't really want to do journalism, <laughs> but I, I think it's like coming from like a working class background of like not really having a path to comedy writing and not knowing like that that was a thing that you could really do. I didn't have any role models for that. I definitely idolized people. Like I loved Molly Shannon. Like I loved SNL. I loved all of that stuff. And I loved Rosie O'Donnell too. Like I, when I was a kid, I would record her show and come home after school and like watch episodes of the Rosie O'Donnell show. <laughs> like, so I had these heroes, but I didn't know how to do that. Rosie O'Donnell, what was her, like, her profession in that show? Um, oh, no, the talk show. Oh, the Did talk show. a sitcom? I don't know about yeah. the sitcom. I think she had a sitcom, right? <laughs> I don't know. I always find it weird when the comedians, they do a sitcom, and then they just have this random profession. Yeah. Like, in, in Everybody Loves Raymond, Ray Romano's What's a, his job? He's a sports writer. Oh, that's so funny. Which seems kind of, it's just kind of random. I, I, I do think that's good, though. Like, I don't love watching shows about comedians. Yeah. I like it when they do have, like, another job. Yeah. I mean, I think Seinfeld works because barely yes. about him being a comedian. It's mostly yeah. not. But, yeah. I mean, if we had, like, a, I mean, we do kind of, like, a bunch of shows about comedians. We have a lot of them right yeah. now. Um, I like Insecure because Issa Rae has, like, a career. <laughs> you know? I yeah. don't know. I just get, I enjoy that. I don't have to see comedians be comedians. Um, I don't know if she had a sitcom. If she did, I missed it. Um, but she had her talk show, right. a daytime talk show, right. where she like shot koosh balls and stuff. Koosh balls? Yeah. Do you remember? No. Bless. How old are you? I'm 24. I'm 35. So a lot of things happened in those 11 years. <laughs> Landshark and koosh balls. Those are the two. Those <laughs> you missed out on so much. <laughs> so uh, after college, did you like? Did you? What did you do? Um, I got the first, well, sort of in college, I was already sort of a little on my way. I did an internship with the Television Academy Arts and Sciences, where they place college students, like I think their junior or senior year, um, at different 
places or like like jobs in the industry in Los Angeles and they specifically pick people who don't necessarily have any connections who it's clear that would have would have a hard time like making connections in LA or New York <laughs> if they were if they were trying to be there um and they also pay you so you can like it was nice i think most internships now are paid because of laws right Sort of. I don't know what <laughs> happens, but they would give you, and I'm sure it's changed now, but at the time, a $4,000 stipend to go to LA for the summer, which was like enough to live on. Mm-hmm. And I was placed with um, CBS in the drama development department, and I worked for Nina Tassler, who became the president of CBS Entertainment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was a very cool internship because I got to actually sit in on writers' meetings and like give my feedback. It was, wow. Yeah, it was not like it's not a getting coffee thing. It's like kind of cool. Like you are actually there to see how the process works. And it was during pitch season. So I got to see how pitch season went down and the people that I was uh, working for Laverne McKinnon and Christina Davis, Christina, I think is still at CBS and Laverne. Um, she is um, a development exec now. Um, they saw that I was a writer. And so they encouraged me to write a spec and pitch the spec to them. Um, and so I wrote like a, a spec of nip tuck. Okay. Yeah. So I was already a little on my way by the end of it, uh-huh. like by sort of like falling into it, <laughs> you know? And, um, then when I graduated, I took the first job in TV that I could find, which was Sanderson practices, um, for Turner broadcast. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I was a censor for a long time. What's the, what's that job like? Um, it's funny. Um, I took the, or I applied for the job. I was applying for anything really. And I didn't know where I was going to end up. Um, Atlanta was like a good place to move from North Carolina. Like it was something I could afford. Mm-hmm. Um, but I took it because the sort of write up was must be comfortable talking about like sex and profanity and like whatever. <laughs> and I was like, I can do that. That sounds like <laughs> kind of a funny, weird job. And I was the assistant um, to the VP there. And uh, just it's a very interesting job where people like have meetings and get very serious and talk about like fart sounds and like what's too wet and like (laughs) what can we show and like can we say this word and (laughs) things change like some sometimes based on like whatever administration is in office like you can say asshole and sometimes you can't like Mm -hmm. it just sort of evolves over the course of time. Um and, you know, like, not too long before that, the Janet Jackson nipple thing had happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so sort of S&P was important at the time, and people, yeah. like, really wanted to make sure that no one had to pay big FCC fines. So I was an assistant, um, and then I was promoted to work on Adult Swim and the first iteration of Super Deluxe. So that was my entree into New York comedy. Do so you, Do you know about Super Deluxe? I do, I do. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, but Adult Swim, I imagine that's, like... Yeah. That's the difficult standard of practice a job because there's a lot of, it's like a different time and then there's a lot of things that they can can get away with. They can't. can get away with a lot more. And I think the reason why I was put on like the digital set I was doing adultsome.com and Superlux was because I was so young that like I got it and mm-hmm. appreciated the kind of comedy that they were doing and could also offer suggestions. So I, if they couldn't say a certain word, I could be like, but you can say X, Y, Z, you know, and that sort of that's why I started working on that and why they like let me kind of run free. Um, it was fun. Like, cause all day you watch TV. That's yeah. a pretty fun job. Yeah. You know, it's not a bad way to get insurance. <laughs> um, and you know, I wanted to sort of grow at adult swim, but it's hard to make the transition from S and P from the enemy really. Right. And I wasn't, they didn't treat me like the enemy <laughs> thankfully because they like, knew me, but a lot of times people do treat you like the enemy, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I wanted to grow. I wanted to work at Adult Swim, but there just wasn't like, I couldn't do it. You had to leave in order to be able to mm. be considered for a job like that. So at that point I had been watching Super Deluxe all day and loving like Chelsea Peretti and Old English and all of those people who were making videos back in the day. And I wanted to move to New York. My husband had heard about UCB. He thought it would be a good thing to do. Um, and I got an S&P job at CBS in New York. So I was doing the button for like live events. And then I started taking classes at UCB. So at UCB, uh, so your husband suggested it. Yeah, I had never heard of it. Okay. Um, he knew about the show and all of that stuff. He's he's a comedy nerd. He, um, at the time, was a radio DJ. Um, right now, he produces the best show with Tom Sharp. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's a studio if you ever <laughs> listen to that show. Um 
But, and he, like, is a comedy guy, and I think it was, like, more clear to him, like, that he wanted to do improv and stuff like that. So he mm-hmm. encouraged me to do it with him. And so you did you did improv first? We started, actually, I refused to do an improv class. <laughs> it was too scary. <laughs> I'm still terrified of improv. Um, but I did a sketch class with Adam Conover, who was in Old oh, English, cool. and I didn't really make the connection until I was, like, sitting in the classroom on the first day and been like, oh... This is the guy whose videos I've been, like, watching for, you know, a year at work or two years. Um, yeah, and that was sort of the start. And I went back and forth between sketch and improv for a long time. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I did classes back and forth. Would you would you recommend that as, like, a thing? Um, I think it really doesn't matter. But I yeah. but the one thing that I thought was really good was that the improv classes, as terrifying as they would be when I would start and go in, I would be so scared were the place that you bonded the most with people. Yeah. And I think, like, sketch classes can be a little bit competitive because you're kind of working on just your own thing. And it's it, it all comes down to your piece being read aloud in the room. And it's not about, like, bonding and, like, needing each other at all. Mm-hmm. So sort of in improv classes, I keep saying sort of whatever. <laughs> <laughs> in improv classes, that's where I met the people that I wanted to work with. Um, and sketch classes are, like, were where I got the skills to be able to keep yeah. writing. Improv classes are just much more social. Yeah, it's a social beast, and you need each other to survive. So you bond real fast. Mm -hmm. And I think, like most of, I formed a sketch team several years in called Bridge and Tunnel. And most of the people who would write for Bridge and Tunnel were people that I had met in improv classes. And so, uh, at what point, like during the classes, did you think, like, oh, I'm really getting it? This is something I can do, and this is like a maybe a potential like avenue for jobs and stuff um jobs that came later i was more wanting to like make mod night and and i was really focused on like the internal like i was really inside of it i think um i would go to mod night and be like i think i could do this this sounds like a thing i could do and i would get excited like dreaming of the day that i would write for mod night um and then it kind of started clicking that it could be a job when I was taking Sketch 201 with Chris Kelly, who would later hire me at SNL. And he, That's pretty crazy. To think it is that, pretty yeah. crazy. And quite a few years passed, you know, between that time. It was very awesome. Um, but he was my teacher, and he was very encouraging about, like, one piece that I wrote about a friend of mine who was a lawyer um, she did a human rights law by day and worked at the Hague and worked at the UN. And then at night she would do stand up and she was having a hard time like writing jokes that because you write jokes about your life. So she was having yeah. a hard time writing jokes that weren't about like human rights atrocities. <laughs> and so like, I loved that. And I was like, Oh, let me write a sketch for you about this. And I did. And he really liked that piece and encouraged me to make it. And I made it with Siobhan, my friend. And, um, yeah. So it was like the first time that, Someone had like said, "Hey, you're good at this," mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and it was also maybe the first time that I started figuring out what I like to do most, which is pulling comedy from real life. Mm. Yeah, it took a while. <laughs> and you mentioned uh, Bridge and Tunnel, which was your uh, sketch group. You're like yeah, your indie sketch group. That was my indie sketch group. Um, I had submitted to Mod a couple of times, hadn't gotten on. And I was like, "Oh, I'm tired of like trying this thing and not getting it." So um, I created this team with my husband, and we were directed by Michael Hartney and then later Aaron Burdett together for years and years. I think those guys are still, like, performing a little bit in a different iteration um, without me. (laughs) That's fine. Um, But, yeah, like, it was just, like, this, like, really fun team where we would put up a monthly show at the pit. And you mentioned uh, you applied for Mod Night yeah. uh, a couple times. A couple times. Didn't get it. How, well, did you, you eventually were on Mod Night. I though. eventually was. What, um, what do you think changed to get like your packet? The artistic director. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. Um, uh, Shannon O'Neill instituted a policy of um, doing a blind read. And oh, I think that that definitely changed things. Um, also, having more women in the room. Because I will say this, like my first, second packet, no way was I ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but by third, fourth, I was. I didn't get it into like my fifth or sixth, or sixth packet. Wow. So, yeah. Um, and that was about the time that the AD changed. And I had a show at UCB called The Dead Dads Club that was running at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that I was ready and had been for a hot minute. Um, but it took like the policy changing. You need like someone in the room who gets what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's... You know, a group of white men, they're going to have a different sense of humor than what your sense of humor is. And so when you have like a more diverse group of people reading, 
and it should always be more and more diverse, then it's going to be better for you. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got on. So with uh, with Bridge and Tunnel, yeah. How do you even go about like gathering people to do this like thing that's not even that's like not a thing yet? Yeah. To like make this sketch thing outside of uh, UCB and outside of things. It started as just a writers group. Like the idea would be maybe oh we'll meet together and we'll have sketches for our next packet. And then I remember Michael Hartney was directing us and was looking at the material that we had and was like, hey, you guys can put some of this stuff up. That's maybe what you should do. Like initially there wasn't an idea behind oh we're going to perform. Um, and I wasn't a performer, so that wasn't even on my radar. It was just about, like, getting reps in and getting more material. Um, so he suggested it. We put up this sketch at somebody else's sketch show um, called Uncle Cracker is a Real Uncle. And it was just okay. like this, like, it's very silly um, sketch where my husband played Uncle Cracker, and I wrote the thing where he... Um, comes home for Christmas and he's Uncle Cracker. Mm-hmm. And it's just very silly <laughs> and basic and it's one of my first sketches. So that's what, but it was fun and it worked mm-hmm. out and it ended up being like a sketch competition and we won the contest and that little like taste of like, ooh, <laughs> we can perform, like hit. And so Michael really encouraged us. About that time, I think he got a, um, a workshop or something or a showcase at, in LA, like with CBS. Um, so he went away to do that, and Aaron Burdett took over directing us, and then we reached out to the pit to see if we could get a monthly slot. They gave us the slot, um, and we just started, you know, working on producing a show every month um, of completely new material, kind of using mod a little bit as a model, mm-hmm. um, but performing in our own stuff. And it took some time. Like, I remember audiences of, like, three people, you know, <laughs> upstairs at the pit, which is a pretty big place, and, like, just three friends who we were able to wrangle <laughs> into coming to having sold-out shows. So um, I think it was all about, you know, trial and error and, mm-hmm. like, learning what works. And the only way to write sketch comedy and to learn to write sketch comedy, I think, is by putting it up and hearing what gets laughs. Mm. So... Yeah, I think it grows exponentially from there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think, again, it was like finding my voice, learning within that team that what I like is the real, like the very reality, like based stuff of like a a real human behavior. Um, And I would draw from like everyday life and create a sketch from that. I think so much of what UCB does is... Well, they grow to not do this, but when you're first starting, they tell you what heightening is, and you think of heightening in this very literal fashion of, like, bigger and bigger and bigger and different and whatever, when in reality, it's just more specific, Mm -hmm. and you can heighten by just getting deeper into your own world and by getting smaller, even, and I think that's where I learned to do it. Aaron Burdett was instrumental in that. He would be like, you know, you don't need to do all of this extra stuff, just, like, live in the exact moment Mm -hmm. of what you're doing. Um, we try to like write new beats and to take something somewhere else, but sometimes it's just funnier to leave it exactly where it is. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting to do like to follow like the if then what else. Yeah. Even further down. Yeah. And you don't have to create a world. You can just really yeah. live inside. Yeah. So I learned to do that. Bridge and Tunnel started doing this show called Get Real, which is kind of similar to Ask Hat, only we would meet with someone at the beginning of the month and write a show about their lives. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then we would put up the show and it would be a mix of interviews or storytelling, like whatever the person was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And then our sketches and usually like a life in like three acts, we would basically do like a story and then like some sketches and just essentially like three stories. Mm-hmm. We would interview a psychic. We interviewed wow. like a famous makeup artist and we would just like create like a fun show about an interesting world. It's fun. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And that probably, like you said, you like drawing from real life, so that's yeah. probably helpful. It's with exactly that. what it was. Yeah. It was like, oh, this is the thing that I like. Let me keep doing it. And then, like, maybe around that time, um, that's when I got on mod. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got on mod, I no longer needed it. Yeah. Yeah. I was already doing a monthly show yeah, that was true. with people that I already loved. So I hated mod. <laughs> and I did it for about a year and a half before quitting. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you hated it, but stuck with You're like, this got to get better. I thought <laughs> if I changed teams that I would like it more. And I did initially, but then it was like, no, you know what? I'm having too much fun with Bridge and Tunnel. Why do I feel like I have to spend all my nights doing this? Mm-hmm. And also, I had my running show. I had a dad's club, and I had like... I got on a UCB digital team and started doing Night Late at UCB, which is a late night show mm-hmm. that's also based around a host. 
um, that's different every month. So yeah, I had enough to do. Just need money more. <laughs> that's what you do. So you mentioned you, uh, you're a writer first, but you're, you're doing performing with Bridge and Tunnel. Yeah. And then later with your, with that dad club. Dad's club, yeah. Uh, how do you like, as a writer, do performance stuff? Um, initially not well. <laughs> <laughs> I had to grow. Um, I think Michael Hartney was really instrumental in making me a better performer. Um, and he was good. He was so good at it. For Dead Dad's Club, um, I had this idea. I don't know if you were able to see the show. It's online. You can watch it. Okay. Whatever. Um, <laughs> you're fine. But my father died and right like four months before he died, my husband's father died. So we had a year long. Wow. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah. We had a year long experience of like nightmare grief and it happened shortly after our first sketch class with Adam Conover. So we kind of took a year off from doing all yeah. of this stuff to just like be humans. Um, and that was a major part of our story and maybe a major part of like doing comedy was like seeing my dad die at a very young age and knowing like what he didn't get to do and wanting to actually do the thing um, that I was scared to do, which was pursue comedy and try to make it a career. Um, but all of those experiences led to writing a show about it. Um, and it took quite a, f- about like about five years before I was, oh, able- wow. yeah, it took a while before yeah. I was able to do that. Um, but I had put up a spank at UCB that didn't get a run and was disappointed about it and wanted to do something that was more meaningful. And that's what we did. Mm -hmm. And, um, Michael Hartney, I think it was a sort of a toss and turn. Like initially I was thinking we would play very small roles in it or Jason would play a bigger role because he's more of a performer. Um, and it would be more of an ensemble cast just like the idea of grief, um, and then it evolved until we were the stars of the show and Michael just kept pushing me to be a better performer. <laughs> and it was a little like boot camp. Uh-huh. I had to learn even to like project. I didn't know how uh. to do that. Um, I was always, it's funny because I was performing as a kid, but you kind of like lose things and you feel like you can't do them. Like in high school, you know, I'm a fat kid. I wasn't cast in the lead. I was always like in the choir or whatever. And you, it eventually gets to you and it eventually makes you think that you can't do the thing that you want to do. And I was convinced that I wasn't good enough. And it just, you have to sometimes excavate to get back to who you really were. Mm-hmm. It's weird, too, because, like, as a kid, you feel so much freedom to do yeah. stuff. And then you lose that as an adult for no reason, really. It's Well, I think there are reasons. There are reasons, but, like, yeah. But, no re- but there's, like, they're not There's not a big reasons. one. It's yeah. just, like, small, small things that make yeah. you go inside of yourself. I was the lead in, like, my kindergarten play. I was the lead in, like, childhood plays. And I was writing them and being, like, a ham. And I was in Odyssey <laughs> the Mind. I was performing there. But I think it was when I was a teenager is when I kind of, like, drew into myself a little bit. Yeah. And... A big part of what Hartney was doing was bringing that back out. Mm-hmm. So he pushed us to be performers, and we did the show. So you mentioned you, uh, it was a few years later when the show started. Yeah. When you, when you started writing the show. Yeah. How do you think like that changed if you wrote it earlier or something? I don't think I could have. Yeah. Um, we were really in it. I hadn't lost anyone like that yet. Have you? No, I haven't. I'm glad for you. So it's going to happen when soon. When it happens. <laughs> Hopefully not too it's soon. on the way. <laughs> Everyone has their, oh, um, I had lost like grandparents. Um, I didn't know what it was like to lose someone that close. And Jason's father, um, his parents were divorced. So Jason and I were in charge of the funeral and of like the work that had to be done to like bury someone and to, you know, clean out a house and all that stuff. And that's grown ass work. Um, I was 26, like we were children. Um, and yeah, so it took me time. In that time, in that five years, I was doing classes at UCB. I was doing improv. I was growing. Um, but it took me time to like be like, you know what? I can write about this. And even the process of writing it, writing about Jason's experience, and we really drew from the kinds of real things that happened. Like, we his dad died the day before his birthday. We went down to yeah. Sucks. Whatever. Um, it's been a few years, so we can handle it. But we went down to Virginia, where he's from, um, and we're doing, you know, cleaning out the house and, like, you know, having – scheduling him to be cremated and all of these really insane things. Yeah. And we were at a Mexican restaurant with some of Jason's friends who had come out to help, and um, they overheard 
us talking about how it was Jason's birthday and a mariachi band came over <laughs> and just like oh, nailed it, you know, like right in front of us where we were just like misery eating. Um, and so many funny things happen when someone dies. So it was like pretty easy for me to draw on Jason's experience because as, as much as I was inside of it, I was still outside of it. And then when my dad died, it was so unexpected and a lot purer in a way. Like Jason had like, his dad was an alcoholic, so there was a lot of anger there. My dad just went into cardiac arrest. We had, like, a very good relationship. It was just, like, a pure sadness. There was no anger involved. And the loss of that was brutal. Um, and so even writing it, it was – you do all of these things. Your body does a million things to protect yourself, like making you think that you can't act. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, your body just, like, goes into overdrive to, like, compress and to hide. And so – it, again, it took a lot of like digging myself back out in order to write that thing. And so, I mean, you, you said you like writing. I mean, you like writing comedy about real life things. Yes. How do you write comedy about something so like tragic? Um, well, thankfully, a lot of funny things happened. Right, yeah. um, and we were already seizing upon that. I think we, we were already in this comedy mind. So that was one of the ways that we were getting through it in the first place. Um, I think there. What I like about the show so much is that there are a lot of honest moments and there are a lot of like real sad moments. People go to that show, went to that show and cried. Um, and I like that. Like I love Chris Kelly's other people. Oh just, yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah. So good. Like I love like laughs of relief. I love like real honest moments that are hard and real and sad. And then you break that moment with a great laugh. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that was what that show aspired to be. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we weren't afraid to, to make it real. We weren't afraid to be honest. We weren't afraid, you know, even to show Jason's anger, like, you know, I feel like we, the best, the best moments for me were like the, just the most fucking honest moments. And there's like a moment at the end of the scene that we did about the mariachi band where Jason is just like fucking wailing on a pinata at the Marriott or at the Mexican restaurant and like getting his anger out. <laughs> and then there's another, the, the show starts with, um, the, Jason's dad died on the same day that Patrick Swayze died. Um, which is a very weird thing, but Jason was very deeply sad about Patrick Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it was because it's the shit that your body does to protect yeah. you. It's like, I'm not ready to deal with this real loss that I've experienced. And so I'm going to focus all my grief on right. the celebrity. Um, so, yeah. So I think that there are a lot of like funny things about grief. And I think it's a mixture of the really flaps with like the real fucking guts. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like if you're like in a grieving mode, you're like... Your emotions probably pinning different directions. Of course. And so if you're going to laugh a lot, probably too. We did. Yeah. Like, you're also looking for anything to make you feel something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like my Aunt Rita showed up to the funeral with the flip cam. She filmed the thing. Like, <laughs> oh, God. she's a nightmare. Um, people behave weirdly when someone dies. Like, you know, Jason's dad was cremated. We sprinkled the ashes. Like... Have you ever sprinkled ashes? Yeah. They're like heavy and Ugh. gross. And it's not what you think. You think from movies that it's like ash. Yeah. But it's pieces of bone. <laughs> That's really? what happens. Really? You don't know that until you're actually the wow. person who's doing it. And we didn't, we knew that we were sprinkling ashes and we were children who didn't have any money. So we didn't want to invest in an urn. Um, and that meant that we were, like, essentially dumping ashes out of a plastic bag. <laughs> I know. There's, like, no wow. romance in it. There's nothing beautiful about it. Um, and then when you get to the end of the bag, there's still ashes in it. So, like, you have to throw the bag away. So Jason was, like, <laughs> shaking a plastic bag out, like, getting the chips from the end of a bag or something. Um, there, So there are all of these... When you really think about it, death isn't this beautiful, like, transition from... Right. it. There's a lot of, like, weird shit that you have to deal with that's quite funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to turn my phone over because it's blowing up. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. What uh, What are the hallmarks of, like, a good UCB sketch show to you? 
I love when people are real. So my favorite shit, um, I loved Pam Murphy's um, The C Word, which was a show, a one-woman show about cancer. She had breast cancer. Um, it was so funny, and it was something that I saw when I was in classes. She was so real about, like, the experience of what it's like to have breast cancer. Um, also, the way people treat you. Um, it was dark but funny and, like, what she wanted to get away with at times. Um, I loved Leslie Mizell's Love Can Suck a Dick and So Can I. <laughs> yeah, so it was written by Megan Nuringer, um, which was just about, like, the truth of love and heartbreak and all of those things. And Leslie did a series of really funny characters related to heartbreak. So I love seeing real human behavior exploited and pulled out. And I love seeing like vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I think a really good UCB sketch show doesn't have to be about that stuff, but it should at least be very committed. And so then uh, you worked at SNL. I did. How'd you get hired uh, for that? Um, I submitted a packet. Um, I got the information for the packet um, from a fellow mod team member the year before. And he sent it to us, um, to the rest of the mod team, I think the day before it was due. Wow. Yeah, so I <laughs> threw it together and it wasn't a great packet. But I knew like SNL takes those packets the same day every single year. So I knew I would be ready for the next year. And I, at that point, was doing UCB Digital and the focus of my team was like making television-related sketches and sketches that were parodies. Mm. Um, so I had a lot of material ready to go. Um, oh, yeah, because that shows like a lot, that shows of a lot of parodies. Yeah. And it's certainly a lot of what I did on the show, too. Um, but I submitted the packet and was at the time like writing for Prairie Home Companion. Okay, cool. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, with Kate Sidley, who writes for um, The Wage of Colbert now. Um, yeah, so I was doing those things and had gone part time at my day job and got a call um, from. Uh, Laura Valk, who is a producer, or I think AP, I don't know, uh, PA maybe. I'm not quite sure exactly what her role was at the time. Um, and said, hey, we liked your packet. Could you come in and meet with us? And I think it was the next day. I went in and met with Chris and Sarah, Chris Kelly, Sarah Schneider, and Brian Tucker, who you've interviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I was sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I was so nervous. Um, I was just like dripping my makeup right off my face. It was like insane because it's, I guess that was August, um, of 2016. And, um, you know, you never think you can get something like that. I didn't have reps, didn't know. Oh, wow. Oh God, no, I didn't have that stuff. So it was like pretty, you know, uh, shot in the dark. Yeah. And um, we had a great conversation about television. We talked about Fixer Rapper. <laughs> we okay. talked about sketches that we liked. Um, they wanted to know, like, one of the things that they really liked from my packet was a sketch that I wrote for 80, um, which was a game show parody. They love game shows there. And it was about the moment when they ask you what your fun fact is, really, at the mm-hmm. beginning of the game show. And I had done Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which is a good way to make some money. Um, and improvisers, they cast. Oh, you, you did. As a oh, you. Oh, I thought you meant like you did that for the sketch, but <laughs> no, I did it like as a person. <laughs> how, how much? What, what, how far did you go? I won twenty thousand. Wow! I know that makes you exist for a while. That's that's crazy. <laughs> it's pretty great, but UCB they love UCB performers. They love improvisers from the Magnet and the Pit. They love people. Really? Too. Yeah, because you're comfortable on camera. TV, yeah. yeah, and so it's it tends to be a mixture of like outgoing improv like improv people <laughs> and game show. That's so so funny. There's a bunch of improv people winning game show money. (laughs) Very real. Like, if you ever watch that show, you'll be like, what? Like, half of our friends are on it. But I had done that show, and one of the things they really want is that, again, they want that, like, real life shit. And so I had told the story about, like, how my dad had died and what I would have done with the money, which is one of the things that I did do was take my mom on a trip because she always wanted to travel with dad when they retired, and they never retired, so they didn't get to do that. Um, and that is the kind of heartwarming bullshit <laughs> that they love. And so it was great, and I did it. Um, but 
I used that as a sketch, like, because one of the things that Jason said when they were walking around, because you take a test to get on the show, um, when they asked what you would do with the money, he was like, save it. <laughs> I was like, you fucking idiot. Like, they don't want to Right. <laughs> and so I wrote this idea that they were asking, like, what a fun thing about them was. And AD was really holding in the truth. Her real fun fact is that she eats the cushions from couches. <laughs> and she was trying to lie and say something else. And they liked that. It was a character sketch. Mm-hmm. So I talked about that. I talked about other stuff I'd done at UCB. Um, yeah. And it was this, like, fun interview um, that felt insane because getting to go to Rockefeller Center, getting to go to the 17th floor, like, and see people's offices and be like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a very bizarre reaffirming feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And then a week later, I got the job. Yeah. yeah. In in general, how do you approach like writing a packet? Um, well, that packet was mostly written mm-hmm. um, already, um, which is nice. So I think the goal is to have material <laughs> that you've been working on for a while. So when you get something that's due in a few days, you're not scrambling and writing brand new shit. Right, right. Um, of course, I do that too mm-hmm. if I need to. Um, but it's very nice to have, like, especially for SNL, because it's always going to be sketches. It's not going to be like, we need 10 of the most topical jokes that you can possibly right. find, you know, or write. Um, it's always going to be sketches. And yes, like, material should be up to date. And, you know, they want that too. But like you're always going to have stuff on there that will work Mm -hmm. um so i think writing in the voice of the show but most importantly sticking to who you are because they're hiring you um and if they don't like what you do that's your realist self Mm -hmm. then you're not going to do well there anyway so don't pretend to be something that you aren't (laughs) i think i think brian tucker said something similar to that oh cool about that yeah well that's good (laughs) um yeah like I, my packet was very, very me. Um, it was as me inside of the show as it could be. Um, yeah. And you don't know, I mean, you can't possibly know how to write for a show until you're there. Like there are a million rules and just reasons why something that would work at UCB just simply wouldn't work on television for whatever reason. Um, but getting your realist voice is is the thing to do and not worry about everything Mm -hmm. else. What do you think is like the difference of like between like writing something for UCB versus SNL? Um, well, <laughs> that's a tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both live, so I do think that like having like that live experience and and writing for like a live crowd really translates and is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that SNL has like a very clear tradition and a very clear format of like what works on the show and right. what they like. Um, it has to be. The show is for, like, the world. It's not for a hyper-specific comedy audience in New York City. Right, right. So you learn that your, like, little tiny weirdos are never going to work. <laughs> um, they have to be, like, spelled out a little bit more. I love a blackout sketch. I love a very quick hit em sketch mm-hmm. um, that you don't see on SNL very often, if ever. Yeah. I can um, think of... They did one with, like, Jason Siegel as, the, as Lou Ferrigno. I years ago, it, yeah. eight years ago, six, seven, like that. Also, Chris and Sarah did this Carmen San Diego thing, which was the closest that uh-huh. I could think of to a blackout, which was a very extended blackout, which is like this like big opening and then one quick joke. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. And I was delighted by that. Like mm-hmm. it was like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, like it's just based on like what people like. Like I like, I, I think like you know hyper specific women's comedy is not mm. ever going to be successful on that show. Yeah. <laughs> you know like based on like what people above like um and i like gross things and that's not necessarily <laughs> going to be on that show um but then there are a lot of things that do translate like i had a sketch from mod night even that made it um to dress and it got cut, but it made it that far, and that yeah. was like directly the same, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know; it's weird. <laughs> Every show's a little different. Um, I write for Sam B right now. It's a delight to be able to say the grossest, most specific things about being a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I had a sketch 
and that I did at UCB and I still do it. It's called um, fingering and it's about a bus driver who's like just begging the eighth grade trip students like she's driving to Washington, D.C. to not finger each other. <laughs> Thank you. I like that. Thank you. And it's like the kind of thing that like <laughs> like could never be on SNL. Yeah. Um, but that I can definitely do at UCB and elsewhere. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's really funny. Thank you. Um, so SNL was your first uh, TV job. That was my first TV what job. What was like that transition to like starting to work at like SNL? Of all what was places? it like? Um, it was, I mean, I got to work when Chris and Sarah and Tucker were the head writers, which was phenomenal. And um, it was also the election. <laughs> So, like, getting to be there at that specific time was the best. Like, you feel like you have a voice in this insane time. Um, It was also the best season of SNL for many years. Mm -hmm. Like, we were having a great season. Um, So, it felt really great to be there at that time. Um, I remember I shared an office with Anna Dresden my first year. And um, I remember, like one day when everyone had gone because the writers come to work a month early um to just sort of like get used to the space or the goal is that they come to work (laughs) they don't always doesn't always work that way but we were able to get there um and meet like just like come into the office like four-ish times before the show was actually starting um and there was a night when mostly everyone had gone and it was just me and anna we were able to walk into the hallway and see all of the pictures of like cast and all of these historic photos and have a moment of being like holy shit we're here (laughs) so yeah um it's a crazy place like getting to work with those people is pretty amazing like I got stuff on my second week I wasn't expecting like to have anything on so quickly it was great to to learn that process and also like some highlights I got to write with Dave Chappelle Wow! I know we had a sketch on like election day or that week Um, what was it like like working that week for that episode oh my god it was we all thought Hillary was gonna win right like it was a foregone conclusion and then on Tuesday <laughs> things started to go to shit Dave was there um and stayed late and went into everyone's offices because on Tuesday nights is when you essentially write the show and you pitch to the host directly to say this is what I'm working on and they might riff um, I was working with Alex Moffat on an idea that he had um, about just a grown man who is still breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty basic. And um, Dave was very excited about it. So he came in and was pitching with us and working with us on it. And the returns were on, were coming in on the TV. And we are... The office is so – it's such a strange thing. Um, if you heard a cheer, like the the returns were coming in just slightly later than real time on CNN. And so if you heard a cheer that was like close by, that was um, the Trump party that was happening at the Hilton. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, you can hear <laughs> – People oh. screaming. Oh, that'd be horrible to hear that. Yeah, and and we would hear those things and then see bad news. Oh. It was very bizarre. <laughs> it was truly bizarre. And then outside, people were collected um, because they, you know, do the the they do all of the states on they like project it onto the like Rockefeller Center rink or whatever. Remember that? Oh. They do that. So people are collected outside, like getting returns. It's just a, 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 a like mayhem, crazy time. Um, it was starting to get really stressful. It was looking bad. Um, I took a Xanax. Anna and I came back to my office and meditated. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go well. Um, in the middle of the night, or I mean, like later that night, it was like clear where it was going, and some people left early. We had people who were at the Hillary party. Um, I think Chris and Sarah were there, and and Kate were there. So that was a miserable time for them to be at that place, <laughs> and. There was just this moment. It was like six in the morning. Alex and I had stopped writing the breastfeeding sketch because one of the producers told us that it was no, it was too gross. There was no way it was going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. And so we just like, we weren't doing it. And I'm just remembering that now, by the way, like I had forgotten that we were told not to do it. And that's the reason why Um, we had written something else. And 
then it was like six in the morning. I was getting ready to go. The light, like, you know, sun was out. And Alex was like, you know, we worked so long with, with Dave on this. Like, I will feel really humiliated and bad if he comes to work and it hasn't been written. Because we had been told to not write it, so we uh-huh. stopped. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And it was really, I know that there were like a handful of people in other places, but the quietest office that you can possibly <laughs> imagine. And me and Alex, the sun coming in on this horrible day. And we wrote the sketch where Dave breastfeeds or that where <laughs> Leslie <laughs> breastfeeds Dave. And it was very stupid and we were ashamed, <laughs> but we're like, fuck it. We did it. And that's fine. And we turned it in. And then all of the stuff that I had written had been pulled and not even read because of how busy the show was, except for that. sketch. <laughs> and we saw it. We were like, Oh God, this is going to be so weird. We're so embarrassed on this horrible day of morning. <laughs> and, and then, um, like Dave popped into my office and he was like, Milkman, like he was like he. That's just I know it was just like so ready, and I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> he remembered it. Alex was right. He wanted to see the sketch, and then um, it was towards the end of the table that that sketch, <laughs> the end of the middle, I think, um, because it's it's like broken up into two. And at the start of the table, I remember Dave like um, read like. I th- I can't remember exactly what he read and I've written it down, but he read like an inspiring thing and it was essentially like saying like the time for comedy is now Mm. and people were crying and it was emotional and it already is an emotional place, (laughs) let alone when Donald Trump wins the presidency. So it's just, and you haven't slept, so you're crazy. Um, but he did that, and then at the end of the table, they read that sketch, which we were so embarrassed about, and it crushed, and it made the show. Wow. <laughs> so that was the week of the election. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think one of the best parts about being at SNL for that year specifically was, like, feeling like you had some power and you had some control. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. meaning, like, you don't really. <laughs> but just, like, having the ability to needle them in some way is nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Whatever. <laughs> How would you deal with, like, having to generate, like, sketch ideas all the time? It's hard. I think, like, you go in, like, fresh and ready. And I also went in with, like, a good portfolio of, like, 40 or so sketches. And you think, okay, and I would do that. Like, if it was a really bad day, I would just, like, crawl and – or I would, like, find – I'd crawl through my, like, folders and find something and be like, great, I'm going to make this a sketch. Right, right. (laughs) And I did that. Um, Sometimes they come from nowhere. One of my – like, I guess the first sketch that was, like – that I was first on was this sketch called Chonk, which is about um, like a women's clothing store. Um, that's a super inspiring ad and like love your body. Only the store is called Chonk and it's really <laughs> ugly. And that came out of a Wednesday sitting in my office with Julio and Sudi and a lot of my colleagues. And one of the things that you do there is that you dress up on Saturdays which is a very rare thing for a comedy writer to have to do. <laughs> but you have to have all of these dresses if you're a lady, and they have to be the exact right dress that, like, is comfortable to run around in because you will be running everywhere and sweating your ass off. <laughs> so I was, like, on eloquy, like, looking for dresses. And Julio looked at it and was like, uh, eloquy, what kind of a name is that? And I said, well, at least it's not called Chonk. Um, and he was like, oh, you should write that sketch. There's a sketch idea. So, like, <laughs> yeah. that happens. Um I was constantly looking for material, like, um, you know, watching. I, I had a sketch um, that I wrote with Brian and Nick um, about Salino and Barnes. It was called Roderick and Gans, where Bobby plays, like, this, like, oh, yeah. stupid bad lawyer. And it just came from, like, watching Salino and Barnes' ad where someone was talking about how much money they got. And it was like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if, like, that that guy got less money than everybody else? <laughs> um they yeah. broke up, right? Selena and Barnes? They did after. Yeah, yeah. they did. Yeah. It was a moment in time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it can be hard. And there were some nights, there were some nights, I think, very few nights where I had nothing. Um, but a lot of nights where I had something that I was excited about. And then I would learn, like, why I couldn't do that thing. I see. So, like, I wanted to do something, like... Um, about La La Land and there was like, oh, we can't do anything about La La Land this week because X, Y, Z is happening. Like there are all of these like rules or like, or, or I had a sketch one time, um, an idea about like 
an end memoriam from an award show, but it's like they, they transition to all of the silly deaths. So it's all of the ways that people died in very silly ways. <laughs> Just a pitch. Yeah. And um, the person who the, was the host that week um, didn't want to do it because her friend had died in a very crazy way. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> I know. So like you learn like on the fly, like, oh, I can't do this for this reason. And then I have to quickly change my game plan. Yeah. And that can happen as late as two in the morning, you know? So mm-hmm. like sometimes you're like, oh, this person is writing a dog sketch and I'm writing a dog sketch and man, that sucks. Like yeah. now I have to write something completely different. And as a new writer, you're like low man on the totem pole. So anyone who's been there for longer than you has first pick at what they're doing. So yeah, it's hard. So if you have those sketches that don't work for that week, do you yeah. kind of just like hold them back maybe and then try to think like, oh, maybe three weeks from now I can do Occasionally. it. Occasionally. Yeah. Like if something's right at the table, typically you don't really bring it back. Right. Sometimes things do get brought back, but it's pretty rare, especially for a new writer. You shouldn't do that. Um, but yeah, sometimes things have stink on them too. Like sometimes it's like I tried writing this and it didn't go. So like bringing it back feels weird. I would try to do that. Um, it's, it's a tough business, man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like I remember writing like a parody of the general, you know, the general car insurance guy Mm -hmm. with Josh Patton, where the reason that he sells insurance now is because he was, um, dishonorably discharged (laughs) and for war crimes and like, (laughs) I don't know, like we wrote it and, and liked it. And then. You know, someone who was trying to voice it couldn't voice it quite right. And then once it's done, it's done. You know, like, it's just weird. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep constantly, like, coming up with ideas. And I think that you're not really off for a lot of time there either. Like, you have hiatuses, but mostly you're just sleeping. (laughs) So, like, I think I take – I get my best ideas when I'm bored. So mm. you don't have a lot of time to be bored there. Right, right. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give to someone like starting a, a job in that show? Um, I think to maintain friendships <laughs> with outside world. I imagine that's very difficult. It's yeah, extremely difficult. The people who that you're you're working with like kind of become your war buddies. Um, it you're there all the time. So I would say like as hard as you can try to maintain like a normal life on Sundays, the one day that you have off, go and do something. Don't stay home. The impulse is to sleep the sleep of the dead, right? Um, which I would usually do, and then make myself go to the mall or go get dim sum or just like fucking get out of the house so I could see normal life happening. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my advice. I think therapy is good. Like. I wasn't in therapy until like the second half of my first season. So I think that's like helpful. And so many people there are doing great with therapy and must. Um, And I think taking care of yourself is important. Um, And at the end of the day, knowing that you're great. (laughs) Because there are a lot of like ways to get in your head and to feel bad about what you're doing that have nothing to do with you or your talent. Um, So if you're starting there, I think like... Don't oh and also Tucker gave me this advice um, when I was interviewing. Um, don't celebrate the highs too hard because then the lows will hurt mm. way worse. Mm. And there are super high highs where the sketch that you wrote is like in the New York Times or something, <laughs> which happens and it's very a life affirming thing and you feel fucking excited and you start to like believe in your own. Shit, and you shouldn't because then the next week you will not get anything on, and you'll think that you're a dumbass. (laughs) So, like, it's both those things. I'm trying to keep an even kill as much as possible, and yeah, so I was there for that, and then for the first half of the 43rd season, and then went on to Sam B. And I, I think also knowing that there is life. And there are great things to do after as well. Mm-hmm. It's not the only thing. Mm-hmm. How did uh, Sam B come about? They found out that I wasn't at SNL anymore and reached out to me. And I sat down with Sam and Melinda Taub, who was head writer, and um, had the best conversation. Like, just super fun greatness. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thrilled. And I was so excited to start working with them. So I've been working with them since May. 
How different was it going from like SNL to Full Frontal? It's a very different experience. Yeah, I can imagine. The hours are very good, I will say. Um, it's like a normal time. You see your friends. <laughs> like it's very healthy. Um, across the street from where you live. It's a, well, now it's a kind move to be closer to it. It's across the street from where I live. Um, and I love working with women. Fucking love working with women. Um, Sam is so smart and so funny, and she makes whatever she's doing a million times funnier. It's not the kind of place where you count jokes. It's not competitive. Like people aren't being like, "Oh, that was mine." You know, it's not that because things are truly collaborative. Like people, everyone on the everyone on staff, like writers, field producers, et cetera, et cetera, can pitch an idea saying, "Oh, we should do a segment about this." And then, you know, those segments are filtered through Sam and through the head writer and the head produ- the executive producers, and they pick what they want to see, and then it's assigned to us. And a couple of people will be assigned on a piece. You kind of write individually. <laughs> so, like, it's very – I just can't even tell you. Like, at SNL, you write the whole show on Tuesday nights. This, you have, like – you can write all week. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you know what you're doing, and you can kind of relax, and it's fine. And, like, it, it it's not going to be read – allowed to a room of people who are judging you (laughs) it's never going to be like that and it's it's just a nice like affirming life experience and so like from the start I started getting a lot of stuff on pretty quickly and it just felt pretty free yeah and one of the things that I was worried about is that it's a very political show and I'm not a super political person I mean I am political but like I'm not wonky like I I wasn't, like, deep inside of, like, what's happening in the Senate. (laughs) And I was very honest about that with Sam. Like, the day that I interviewed, it was, like, the day after we found out that someone bit Beyonce. And I said to her, I was, like, I spent, like, half hour last night, like, trying to figure out who bit her. (laughs) So, like, that's what you're getting. They never found out who did it, right? There's a Um, lot of credible... I think Sanaa Lathan is, like, the one that we're assuming. Wow. Allegedly. An exclusive. An exclusive on here. Sanal Nathan? Sanaa. Sanaa Nathan. Nathan. Sorry. Sanal Nathan. I mean, she denies, but sources point to it. But that's what... I told Sam that, and Sam was like, who do you think did it? And I said, try that. And it was like, great. Like, it's very nice. Again, it's like pointing to the fact that, like, if you aren't honest with who you are then you're not going to be happy there. If you're trying to pretend that you're like something else, then they're going to hire that person. Then it's going to be like, oh, wait, you're not what you said you were. Um, So you won't be happy and they won't be happy. And it's just a fucking luxury to be in a place where I can be exactly who I am. Mm -hmm. It's nice. How do you write comedy about like the current world we live in? Ah, (laughs) I know. It's kind of crazy. I mean, the thing about the show is that Um, this show in particular writes about things that we're passionate about. So Mm -hmm. if we can like argue and feel like something should change and like fight for, you know, like, um, like a meaningful change then those are the pieces that we're writing. So we write from a place of passion. Um, and I, I mean, it can be challenging, but I think like you can find a way in to make a joke about these awful nightmarish people that are controlling the world right now. Um, I think it's hard, but I think trying to lean on the silly side has been helpful for me. Mm. Finding a sillier way in and making fun of the way they look. (laughs) (laughs) Being bullies. Uh, (laughs) What would you like to be doing next? Um, My ultimate goal, I'd love to run a show. I'd love to be doing sitcoms someday. Um, I certainly like thought that that was going to be happening like immediately after SNL. And then when this opportunity came up, I was like, oh man, this sounds too good to (laughs) to pass up. So I'm really excited to be doing this right now. Um, Still writing pilots though. And like, I mean, like when you're working on late night stuff, when you're working on sketch stuff, you don't have a chance to do longer form things. And it's very satisfying to like live with a character. So, you know, um, goals certainly to produce my own shows someday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we're going to wrap up. Okay, uh, great. With you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea I okay, have. Okay, great. Give it to me. Uh, this is a stupid really stupid idea, but basically... <laughs> Don't apologize. <laughs> I know. It's a great way to start a pitch, Stand right? Stand by. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a, it's a a school bus driver. Great. And he's uh, But he's using it as an Uber pool to pick up passengers. That's 
That's fun. So it's like, you know, a bunch of kids going to school, then a guy comes in going to the airport. So he's like, okay, we're going to stop at the airport first, and then we're going to go to school. Stuff like that, I guess. <laughs> I think that's fun. Yeah. Um, what gave you the idea? Uh, I just was thinking of what would be the most ridiculous Uber. <laughs> There was, like, a weird, like, abandoned bus down the road on the weekend. I do think that that's, like, the most, like, ultimate Uber pool is a school bus. Yeah. I think that's fun. Um, and how do the kids react? I, I, I was thinking they'd be uh, pissed off. They'd be angry. <laughs> Although, yeah, because if, uh, if they're cool with it, then there's no real... There's not any real drama, but you got to have somebody who's a surprise, who's a wild yeah. card. I also think the kids could be eating up all the free candy, for sure. Oh, yeah, that's fun. I don't know. That sounds fun. Um... Ubers. <laughs> I think that's fun. I feel like I'm like trying to decide. Um, I wonder like where it would go after yeah. um, the guy who wants to go to the airport gets on. Yeah, I was wondering if it should be like more like u- like Uber tropes of like pe- like the Uber types of customers you get, yeah. like a drunk couple or something. Totally on their way to school. Yeah, yeah. I guess that, oh, that'd be kind of fun. They like they're like a drunk couple going to school. It could be. Yeah, it could be. I think that's fun. Yeah. Um, are you gonna write it? Uh, maybe. I <laughs> see. For this, you know, I'll peek behind the veil. For this uh, podcast, I saw. I, you know, for the first episode, I've been doing this pitch segment. Yeah. So I gotta come up with a lot of ideas. That's good. Um, but I don't know. I don't. I don't write all of them. I don't know if I'll write this one. <laughs> so I don't feel super strongly about. Yeah. If you don't feel strong about it, I think it's you're not gonna have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything you want to plug? Um, I do a show uh, at Union Hall called FOMO Live. Um, I invite comedians and other interesting people to come share Instagrams that look like a really incredible <laughs> time, and then they tell the story of why they weren't having a good time. <laughs> um, and it's just sort of like poking holes in the ways that we lie to each other on Instagram yeah. and social media. Um, my next one is. I think it's October 3rd. It's a Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. or 8 p.m. Whatever, Union Hall. Cool. <laughs> Day after my birthday. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. Happy early birthday. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Boardwalk Audio Podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.